tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Yes, it finally happened. It is October 1st as we record this, which in my mind means it's already Halloween. Hi, I'm Ben. Halloween uh, is every day, I think, for us, uh, especially on Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, the other show that we hang out on. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but there's so many things about Halloween that just do it for me. The holiday itself, obviously, I think we are all fans of spooky stuff, but just the weather change, you know, going from being in Georgia, going from brutally hot and oppressive to this kind of like very brief, beautiful grace period of, you know, breezy fall weather before it just gets obnoxiously cold. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Really big fan and, and big fan of the types of episodes that we get to cover uh, for for this particular season. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, yeah. I love this Ray Bradbury-esque autumnal weather. I love the idea that something spooky this way comes. Uh, we have decided to dive into some spooky episodes this month. Maybe not uh, 100% spooky episodes, but we're going to do our best. We're going to have some fun with some monsters, with some creepy stuff. And if there's anything that comes up that might not be 100% appropriate for the youngest people in the audience, we'll give you a heads up at the top of the show. Uh, With that being said, I think this is an all-ages one. I do want to say to your comment about it always being Halloween, especially on stuff they don't want you to know. I recently wrote a uh, very pretentious essay called It's Always (laughs) Halloween in America. Uh, (laughs) I would love love to send to you guys. It's my uh, uninformed pop culture sociopolitical critique uh but no where would we be uh the you know you and i are two great monsters but where would we be as a show without our favorite monster on the ones and twos super producer casey pegram 
Casey, what what are your thoughts on uh, on Halloween? Pretty much everything that's already been said. Got it. Uh, I, I primarily love the weather. Yeah, I'm not like a huge Halloween guy. There are years where I don't go out and and really get in costume or do anything. Oh, but I, I never wear a costume. For the record, that's just not the part of it that I personally. I like seeing other people wear awesome costumes, and my daughter's a huge costume person. Halloween's going to be a little sad for her this year, and for a lot of kids, right? I think trick or treating is canceled, so you can trick or treat in podcast form with us. There we go. There we go. Uh, email our uh, complaint department, Jonathan Strickland at iHeartRadio.com uh, for your free candy. Don't be nice about it. Demand it. Yeah, uh, he'll just, deliver it to you directly in his <laughs> creepy white van. <laughs> yes. Uh, don't get in the van. We cannot stress that enough. Do not get in the van. Learn from our mistakes. Exactly. Yeah. Halloween is going to be tough for a lot of kids. A lot of people like us who who love the holiday, it's also going to be tough for a lot of parents. But one nice thing we can say about Halloween 2020 is at least this year, uh, it looks like children have a very good chance of not being chased by a real-life monster. How's that mm. for a segue? Uh, it's a perfect segue. Uh, not the case for folks in the, oh gosh, we're going to have a, a hell of a time today uh, running French pronunciations by super producer Casey Pegram, but I'm going to give this one a, a go. Uh, in the Gavaldin region? Gavaldin? Oh, Gavaldin? Oh, I, I was close. Gavaldin. Gavaldin. Yeah. Uh, Casey on the case. Gavaldin. Got it. It's funny because when we were gearing up to record, I, I went ahead and tried to get in front of that one with Casey and asked him. It's going to come up because it is the uh, the titular beast in question. Yes. It's the beast of Gavaldin. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, and, and that is a region in the south of France uh, in what today is uh, is called Lozier. Okay, I got a I nod. Like I, I, I think like we'll it. go with we that one. You may be tangentially familiar with this story, uh, dear listeners, if you remember the absolutely bonkers French, like kung fu period piece, The Brotherhood of the Wolf. I um, love it. I adore it. It's got everything you want. That was also right on the heels of like Crouching Tiger and Waifu craze sure. that was so big. And they took this and applied it to a period drama thriller about this monster that was just, you know basically eating its way across the the French countryside in this in this part of France Javadon. It, it's it's a really cool movie it's very strange there's a character that just inexplicably has this like segmented razor whip that's, that mm -hmm. looks like it's made out it's of amazing. like vertebrae or something and, he, and it stretches out like mm -hmm. a superhero weapon of some kind it's mm -hmm. not explained where the physics behind this thing at all it's like the sword that the character Ivy in Soul Calibur has. Sometimes mm. it's a sword. Sometimes it's a segmented chain whip. That's right. Yeah, I, I love Brotherhood of the Wolf. Uh, it, it spends most of, without spoiling it, it's a it's a great film. It spends most of its time figuring out what it wants to be unsuccessfully. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, maybe it's best described as like a period horror investigation fantasy piece. I don't That's know. It's right. got some Sleepy Hollow in it with better fight scenes. A little Sherlock Holmesiness to yeah. it too. Uh, Vincent Cassell is is in it, and he's fabulous and everything he's in. You've seen him in American films, I'm sure as well. But yeah, I was really fascinated by that, and it got me uh, looking more into the story even back in 2001. God, we're old when that came out. Uh, but it's very much based on a real story. 
Yeah, it very much is. I also want to give a shout out to uh, the iconic Monica Bellucci, who is in that film. Yes. Uh, Respect. Respect. So this is very loosely inspired by a very real and tragic event that remains mysterious in the modern day. As you said, Noel, uh, this story takes place in Gévaudan. It is uh, part of southern France that during this time had its own sketchy reputation. It was thought of as remote, you know, a world away from Paris. Uh, and people thought it was kind of on the edge of the wilderness. Mm-hmm. What we would maybe think of as like hayseeds or, you know, like uh, country folk that, that are looked mm-hmm. down upon by the aristocracy or, or people mm-hmm. that live in the big city. Yeah, kind of a frontier vibe. You know, if you've ever been to the hinterlands of Alaska or any wild place, uh, there, there was very much this perceived conflict between human civilization and the natural world. People believed in monsters. They believed in magic. Picture Grimm Brothers fairy tale kind of vibe. That's that's what we've got. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's what Smithsonian Mag kind of described it as in this great article that we uh, got some really cool sources from and, and, and pulled some research from. Um, one of the sources that's credited in that article is a book called Monsters of the Gavaldan, The Making of a Beast. And the writer behind that, uh, that book, uh, J.M. Smith, the historian, um, described this region as such. It's fascinating. It's powerful. It's scary. It's sublime. It was the perfect place for a grim-like fairy tale starring a possibly supernatural creature. But for villagers under attack, uh, reality was more brutal than any book. And that's because Ooh. France sucked in this period of time. Yeah, 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 it was not yeah. a fun place to live unless you were literally ensconced in your ivory tower, uh, which most people were not. <laughs> and And still, you know, the French Revolution was unbeknownst to them coming along mm-hmm. the way. People, of course, can't predict the future, so... Folks in France were less worried about a revolution they didn't see on the horizon and more worried about how to recover from the Seven Years' War, which it was only like had only ended a year prior. Uh, France had suffered so many defeats from the Prussians, from the British as well. The bulk of the overseas empire holdings were lost, the economy was in the loo, and the beast comes in to this socio-political context. The beast itself is a real creature. Uh, the first victim was a 14-year-old girl watching sheep. Her name was Jeanne Bollet, and her death was, you know, just the first documented one. Uh, but there were more to come, and throughout 1764, victims of this creature were found throughout the area with their throats torn out, their heads gnawed off. This is not hyperbole. This is what happened. National Geographic has a great article on this as well. That's right. And, and I would say that this uh, this shepherd girl that, that, that is mentioned here is probably the inspiration for the, the cold open scene of Brotherhood of the Wolf. And that's sort of what kicks off the mystery is they find, you know, serial killer style, the remnants of this uh, this young woman. And that's what kicks off the investigation. And that like gets the heart of the of the story and what propels the plot forward. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. 
Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a reason that this is a story we're talking about today. Look, communication had, you know, was uh, much less efficient than it is in the modern day, and the news from the region was tightly controlled and censored by the king. I mean, forget the region, throughout France. Newspapers had to be very careful what they reported on because if they made Louis mad, uh, it could be as dangerous to them as getting their throats torn out by a wolf in the woods, if indeed a wolf it was, which we'll get to. Uh, Because they couldn't report on a lot of political events or, or current affairs of the state, Newspapers needed to turn to other things, other stories for content. And so they turned to the stories of these mysterious attacks in Gévaudan. A guy named Francois Morenis, who was the creator and editor of the Corriere d'Avignon, used a type of reporting that they called Faits divers, which is stories of, well, they're kind of like human interest stories. But they're human interest stories of small town crime, kind of like um, if you guys remember here in Atlanta for a long time, we had a magazine called Creative Loafing. And every week that it came out, it would publish a column called The Blotter, which is do you guys remember The Blotter? Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a salacious tabloid-esque kind of yellow journalism, really, is what it is. An early example of that, what we would now call consider true crime and and what makes for a good true crime story if it bleeds it leads the more salacious the better which this absolutely was i mean it did, not only did it bleed it did throat slashed and disemboweled and you know ripped off limbs it did all the things to make for a uh, perfect fate divers uh, type of story and uh people ate it up just like they do today right 
this guy, Francois, it's, it's his reporting, especially, that lifted the story of the beast from some kind of isolated backwater tragedy to uh, a, an issue of national concern. So uh, let's look at the reporting. So the first recorded fatal attack occurred on June 30th, 1764. We mentioned this 14-year-old girl, the shepherd, Jean Belay, uh, was tending a flock of sheep and she was discovered, you know, attacked. But our guy we mentioned earlier, J.M. Smith, in his book, he notes that she may not have been the first victim, just the first victim reported at the time, because two months before this 14-year-old dies, there's another young woman who was tending cattle, and she was attacked by something, but she escaped because her cattle defended her. And get this description. She said, it was like a wolf, yet not a wolf. Like a wolf, yet not a wolf. It's very uh, eerie. It sounds like some Lovecraftian kind of writing, you know, or like something from Poe, maybe. I want to point out a pug is also like a wolf, but not a wolf. A pug? Yeah, a pug is like a wolf. It's descended uh, from the same that's, genealogy. That's, that's fair. It would, be, it would have been a lot cuter if these murders had been, uh, you know, done by pugs. The pug of Yevoldal. Uh, you never <laughs> see the pug coming. It's so cute. Then you reach down, and then it just devours you. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's terrifying in and of itself. But yeah, I mean, this this beast was absolutely ravaging uh, this this town or this this part of France, attacking, uh, partially eating women and children, uh, according to the report. But it didn't necessarily seem to have a preference of gender. Uh, there were some men that were attacked as well, uh, but they were typically by themselves. Um, so I, I thought that maybe there was some speculation that this was like some sort of Jack the Ripper situation, but I think I might have made that up. There was, however, speculation that it was maybe more than one creature. That was, I think these were pretty clearly the types of injuries that would only be possibly inflicted by like, you know, uh, a wild animal. Yeah, yeah. A person doing this at the time would have to do some very clever trickery, you know what I mean, to to replicate the mauling uh, that was evident on the corpses. It, yeah, you're right, Noel. So these attacks continue through summer. They continue into autumn, like this beautiful weather we're having now. And there were so many reports of the creature uh, that... Everyone in France was familiar with it in some way. You didn't, it got to the point where you didn't have to be literate. You didn't have to read a newspaper. You would have heard other people talking about it. Oh, yeah. And we don't know how many of these reports were maybe exaggerated, going to the point about tabloid journalism. But we do know that the good people of Gévaudan sprang into action, right? They, they were offering bounties. Hunters were teaming up and combing through the countryside. Uh, you know, they were looking for this mysterious creature, but that often meant that they were just calling anything they might they thought might one day attack a person. Uh, and and their site, the, their like reported sightings of it getting away. I think October eighth, same year, seventeen sixty four. Uh, the beast is seen stalking, as you described, a lone person, a male, and hunters followed the animal into the woods. They managed to flush it out in the open. They shot a bunch of musket fire at it. Of course, yes, muskets are notoriously inaccurate. They must have hit it because the beast fell down. But then what did it do? 
Well, it's obviously an, you know, uh, immortal demon from hell. So clearly it got back up and ran away. <laughs> you know, everybody knows that. Um, did, did you mention that there were like bounty hunters that were after this thing, Ben? Yeah, yeah. Some people put up bounties, which inspired a lot of the hunters, I think. And, and that's certainly what inspired the two main characters. <laughs> I, sorry, I keep harping on this. I just love this movie so much in Brotherhood of the Wolf. They're the two, these two like ninja guys that, you know, wear these amazing like like peaked hats like you'd see in like, uh, you know, Washington crossing the Potomac. It's, it's very cool looking, very stylized. They have these amazing scarves that cover like just under their noses. And right. they a really cool costume design in that movie. And these two guys are the ones that are actually after it uh, in a detective capacity, but also in like a, you know, sick bounty hunter kind of badass kind of capacity. And I'll say this, it's one of my favorite films, actually. It's one of the reasons I was so happy to, to talk about this at length. But it's got some problematic stuff. It's got the, you know, the mysterious partner from uh, the Native American community. Oh, that's right. Like that. Yeah. I forgot about that. But the characters are so, oh gosh. I thought for a time it might have been based on a video game. I'm not going to lie. I thought it might be like a French Mortal Kombat or something. And I was too scared to ask anybody whether that was correct. You're totally right, Ben. And there's, there's even a badass woman character that gets into the action and uh, reveals that she's also an incredible Mortal Kombat ninja. Um, but sorry, we keep gushing about this movie. I think we're on the same page here. Um, but it was one of those things, too, where, like you see in a lot of uh, killer movies or monster movies, there's, okay, we got it. It's, it's dead, and then the twist is, and then the killing continues, you know? Ooh. So oftentimes, because of the bounty, there would be these bounty hunters or hunters trying to make a buck, bringing in this thing they would purport to be the beast, because they didn't know what kind of animal it was. So it might just be a wolf of a quite... And there was, I think in the movie, there's even one person that brings in a particularly large and nasty-looking uh, wolf, um, and they do, I think, close the case. Uh, briefly until the, right. the killings return. And, and and there's a conspiracy on the part of the monarchy where they say, just give us something so that we, we can say we've solved the problem. Sure. Let's maybe talk a little bit about the descriptions of this creature. Yes. What did it look like? How did it behave? Uh, because what we're going to find is that these descriptions don't all match. Sometimes, uh, I mean, it was typically described as something that seemed wolf-like, so seemed like a mammal, but it was sometimes described as as large as a calf, mm -hmm. sometimes as large as a, a as a horse, I believe. Yeah, reddish in color, had some sort of uh, distinct coloration, dark coloration along its spine. And, you know, folks went to great lengths to try to make their case that this was the beast and 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 really you know took it to the next level some of them did by shoving pieces of clothing you know into the the stomachs of the dead wolves uh with a stick or something like that and of course there's no like forensics at this time you can't match you know blood samples from a beast stomach to the you know the victim so it would all just be kind of like visual and confirmation that would be where, where it would end yeah we do know a couple of consistent things in the reporting. So it appeared to be active in the evenings and in the mornings, which means in the world of biology, it is a crepuscular animal. It's active during the twilight hours when the hunting is, is perfect for it. It's an ambush hunter. It appeared to stalk people, usually lone uh, women or children, but also dudes as well. And it would seize these people by the throat. 
when you looked at a body of its victims, you would see a lot of wounds were on the head and the limbs. And with the decapitations you mentioned, uh, yeah, it is true that at least 16 people were reportedly found decapitated. That's coming to us from uh, history.com. And already, uh, we have to tip our hats, tip our tricorn hats to some of the contemporaneous investigators of the day, uh, because they were already trying to guess what sort of real-life, non-supernatural animal it might be. Uh, there's a guy named LaFont who wrote in a, a report that was pretty early in the days of the beast's reign of terror, uh, where he said that the beast has a snout that's kind of like a calf's and has very long hair, and to him, it meant that it could be a hyena. And like, I think along the way here, we're going to be gathering these different possible culprits, right? Possible suspects. Uh, but other people had more exaggerated or more extreme descriptions of the beast. Yeah, um, he, he he actually described it looking more like a, a leopard, or at least in the way its body was long and slender. It described it as having a breast as wide as a horse, and also referred to that uh, red coloration with that black stripe. Should we spoil it real quick, the movie, the, the, what it ends up being? It's cool, because it obviously takes all of this into account and then makes it the most ridiculous and uh, extreme version of all of this stuff. Yeah, okay, spoiler alert, in the in the film, it's a juvenile lion. Right, wearing crazy armor. Yes, of course. <laughs> it, it looks like Battle Cat from He-Man or something, you know? With the articulated jaw uh -huh. that's made out of bone of some yeah, other creature. Yeah, that like moves, exactly, moves with it, and like extra stuff around the claws and like the, you know, spines of like spikes along its back. And, uh, it, it ends up being like, there's a, there's a beast master, <laughs> a shadowy beast master mm -hmm. in, in the movie. Oh God, you guys really have to see this. And, and none of this that we're telling you is going to spoil your enjoyment of the movie at all, because it's just a bonkers romp of a, of a, of a film. Happy pride from Tomboy X celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. 
from iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. And Ben... There were even some reports that, you know, there there was uh, perhaps some occult, occultishness Ooh. afoot here. Yes. Uh, <laughs> there were multiple witnesses who claimed the beast had uncanny supernatural abilities, that it could walk on its hind feet, that it was bulletproof, that it had fire in its eyes, and that, like we said earlier, it was very Jason Voorhees. It just kept coming back from the dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we can't blame people for believing this. They were terrified. They they may have known someone who died. They also were very complimentary of its leaping abilities, according to Smithsonian Magazine. And yeah, it really became such a, a cause célèbre, there, how about that overpronunciation there, of, of people trying to make a name for themselves, you know, uh, as being brave or maybe some some disgraced soldiers uh, that wanted to clean up their reputation and, and have sort of like a uh, underdog, you know, coming back kind of moment. Um, there, you know, the numbers kept going up. Officials were losing their minds. Aristocrats were freaked out because they're like, well, what if it comes into my palace and, and, uh, and during my bath time and mauls me? Um, Etienne, Lafont, who was a regional government delegate and a gentleman uh, captain by the name of Jean-Baptiste Duhamel, um, were in charge of the infantry in the region. And they uh, decided it was time to take this thing to the next level and essentially put together a volunteer army, uh, a, a militia. And we're not talking just like a little search hunting party. We're talking about like a full on like battle mode. Yeah, 30,000 people at one point. Duhamel organized the guys based on what he knew from his experience in the military. And they also left poison bait. They tried to do some, I guess, like sting operations. They had soldiers dress as peasant women. I love it. And walk around. <laughs> yeah, hoping. I wonder who drew the straw. Oh, dear like, me, I hope right. no beasts are out tonight. <laughs> I wonder if the, if it was something where people thought it was a bad job or if there were dudes who were like champing at the bit to volunteer and they were like, this is my time. I mean, you know, back in those days, wasn't the the fashion pretty a fet anyway with like powdered wigs and lacy doily outfits and, you know, little little shoes and pantyhose, you know? Wasn't oh yeah, that, like uh, I, I will dress as the peasant woman <laughs> if I can keep the costume afterwards. Exactly. I think that's right, Ben. I think that's right. Um, but for, for Duhamel in particular, 
Taylor, it was a way, like, like I said at the top, a way to redeem his honor after the war because he's described by the, uh, the historian Smith that we mentioned as having many signs of, quote, wounded masculinity. Quote from him, from his book, he had a highly sensitive regard for his own honor and had some bad experiences in the war and looked at this challenge of the defeating the beast as a way to redeem himself. Yep. And there were uh, there were some other redemptive arcs here, because we have to remember for a lot of the reading public, this was playing out like an action film. You know, this was an ongoing case. And the press would uh, the press eventually used its power to get King Louis himself to to lend a hand in the search for the beast, because when they would describe how peasants escaped the beast, the ones who survived, they always said, look at this like heroic, noble person, especially children. They're mm-hmm. defending themselves. You know, these good salt of the earth people, this is real France. Right. This is what we're we're here for. And this is the uh this is what makes our country possible. Also a great PR opportunity. Oh, yeah. Oh, brother, you get it. And so uh, there was one story that really got to Louis. It was uh, this guy named Jacques Portefeuille. He was a young boy, and he was hanging out with his pals, his running crew. I know we all had one when we were kids. Yeah, as cattle boys. Yeah, yes, yes. They were somewhere between 8 to 12, and they were watching the cows, right? They were cow poking. I just, <sighs> Is that like cow tipping? or you just? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I keep hearing, I'm thinking of the phrase cowpoke, but you know what? We're working live. We, and, we're a fa- and, and we're a family show, too, so let's uh, let's not explore the origins of that weird-ass term yeah, yeah. right at this exact moment. Let's say these, these, young, uh, these young cattlemen, on January 12th, 1765, uh, they were out there in the field doing their thing, hanging out, taking care of the livestock. The beast attacked, but these kids weren't, you know, they weren't running solo. They were ranging in a crew and they had pikes. So together, through cooperation, they managed to fend the monster off. And uh, Jacques was portrayed as the protagonist, the hero of the story. And people loved his courage so much that the king heard about it. And he thought, I don't know if this is altruism. I don't know if he was really touched or if it was like a political move. But either way, he, he gave all the kids a reward And then he said, I'll pick you, Jacques, and you are going to be educated. We are going to make a learned man out of you, and I'm going to pay the tab. I'll take care of all your tuition. Good job. Go peasants. Yeah, you other other lesser kids just can, you know, wither away in the streets for all. Take the money and run. Take the money and run. And and of course, you can imagine this was used by uh, the pro-monarchy forces to be like, look how much the king loves you. He's such a lovely guy. He understands you. He's just like you, in fact. By the way, (laughs) Ben, what's a pike? Is it just a pointy stick? Isn't that basically what a pike is? You got it. It's a really long pole weapon. Typically, it has a spear Mm -hmm. at the end or Mm -hmm. a pointed implement of some sort. You always hear about heads on pikes when people are made an example out of. They display them outside the castle gates on pikes. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the uh, the publicity around these children surviving the beast also inspired the royal court to send out sanctioned royal hunters to find and eliminate this creature. And by this point, 
it's so weird to talk about mass media in like the 1700s, but by this point, people outside of France were following the stories too. People across the Atlantic, people in Boston were like, oh, did you hear there's a new update on the Beast of Gévaudan? I know that Noel and I both sound like Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast. It's our only frame of reference. <laughs> Casey, shout out to you for your patience. I'm totally. So oh, how do you say it? Mail. It's a little strong. <laughs> Perfect pronunciation there. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm leading into the Lumiere, but uh, that that is appropriate. Uh, because we have, Noel, Casey, uh, learned that we've, we're just too excited about this story to make it one episode. There's too much cool stuff. Agreed. Uh, this story is going to go some twisty and interesting places. Definitely don't see Brotherhood of the Wolf until after you've heard of this podcast. Yeah, because then yeah, I would I would wait. And I'm telling you, you're going to love it. Gosh, I, I can't just I I, I got to watch it. I'm going to watch it this weekend. I haven't seen it. I think I saw it once when it came out in theaters, and I remember so much about it. But you obviously Ben uh, have a special fondness for it and own it on DVD, and and re are reminding me of things that I kind of forgot. So I'm going to revisit that. By the way, Ben. This is a crossover to another show that we do together, stuff that I want you to know. You know what I watched yesterday? What's that? I watched the movie Vibes with uh, oh. with Jeff Goldblum and Cindy <laughs> yes. Lauper and yes. Peter Falk. And uh -huh. uh, highly recommend that one to anyone uh, as well. If you like a thing like Ghostbusters, sort of a goofy supernatural like rom-com i was expecting it to be bad and i'm not saying it's good but it's like good <laughs> it has a vibe oh it has some serious vibes and that's all you can watch that on amazon prime uh for free and i bet you brotherhood of the we'll see where you can stream brotherhood nowhere really i was looking for it last night and um yeah, physical media looks to be the only way right now. You're going to have to find yourself a DVD copy or write to us uh, on, on Instagram, Facebook, and maybe Ben will, will loan out his copy for you. I would I would love to. I think all three of us are uh, all, all three of us are into the idea. There is already a waiting list uh, because we are going to send the DVD to Casey uh, so we can get some official evaluation there. Because you have not seen it, Casey. No, I, I very much remember when this came out and I meant to see it back when it did come out, but I never got around to it. And actually, it looks like on DVD, there's like a director's cut. So uh, there's some extra stuff in there that you may have not seen yet, Noel. Right on. Oh. I love it. Okay, well, I'm going to have to get get a hold of that. And um, yeah, I think you'll you'll get a kick out of the case because it is beautifully shot. And, and the acting's great. It's, it's a little like scenery chewing at times, but it's just a real interesting hybrid type movie that I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it. And we didn't ruin the film for you, Casey, by the way. No, no, definitely not. It's not one of those where, where like the uh, <clears throat> plot matters. <laughs> well, well, as I'm reading, as we're going through the story, I'm realizing they did oh yeah use a lot of the stuff from the real story but then they you know really zhuzhed it up as you say ben like with some kung fu supernatural weirdness and uh it's worth every moment uh, invested so highly recommend you check that out also highly recommend you check out our facebook group ridiculous historians where you can get in on the conversation about this and other episodes all you gotta do is name names you know, like me or Ben or Casey or, or Alex Williams who composed our theme, the, the quiz or anything, just to let us know that you're a person that's aware of the show. Now that is a top-notch course in the art of the segue, Noel. I am impressed. Yes, uh, thanks as well to Christopher Hasiotis. Thanks to Eve's Jeff Coat. Thanks to our, uh, our own uh, research bodyguard, 
Gabe Luziep. And, you know, I'm suspecting, Gabe, I don't know if you're going to listen to this one, but I'm suspecting you as well may have not seen The Brotherhood of the Wolf uh, because we didn't uh, we didn't talk about it. So uh, let us know when your birthday is and act surprised uh, when you hear from us. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.